Welcome to The Dialogue. I'm Suzanne St. John Crane. In 2016, a group of senior fellows came together to determine the role and voice that the faith community can hold in Silicon Valley. The group was motivated by the care for the least among us, in particular the homeless in our region. Following the presidential election and a series of hate crimes in Silicon Valley, their sense of urgency and concern drove a broadening of their scope and membership. Rabbi Dana Magat, Father John Pedigo, and President and CEO of the Islamic Networks Group, Maha El Ghanadi, talk about how unlikely allies came together to support one another, and in the process, create a strategy to heal the fracture of perceived difference in our community. Let's listen. So glad to have the three of you here to talk about some of the important work that you're doing. And when I came to ALF, I was so excited about the possibility of really connecting people across um, sectors, perspectives, and uh, it's really been beautiful to watch how our faith leader group has come together and, and really embodied that. I'd love to, to just start this conversation by asking, you know, maybe Dana, how, uh, how did this begin for you? And how did the group grow? Actually, a classmate, Naomi and I, were talking, having a conversation, and one of the things that John Pedigo and I have been working on for quite a long time is the issue of homelessness in Santa Clara County. And I had been super frustrated with seemingly a logjam. Like, we would try to do something, and then there'd be another politician that didn't agree with that, or a religion had an issue with this. And it hit us that the ALF model of collaboration, of having the conversation, would be a great way to do this, but also that everyone in leadership had a connection to ALF. We had a mayor that, that went through the program, members of the supervisors from the county went through it. Thought, well wait, maybe we need to rethink this. And we have so many actually great faith leaders in part of ALF. Why not bring that group together and let's see what we can solution together. Intentions was like, as Dana said, is to have a conversation. I think part of the problem is that we aren't having conversations around some of these things, and we, we talk around the issues. And if we're looking at institutional connections, we have to kind of see you know, what the personalities are, what are, the, what are the trigger points, what are the pressure points, what are the entrance points, and also try to create a common grammar and language to talk about some of these perspectives. Um, because if we wait for a political solution or policy solution um, driven by an elected official, things aren't going to move forward. But, but faith leaders are in the community no matter what, and they're geographically bound, and they're connected. Um, they aren't answerable necessarily in the same type of way that a politician would be that allows us to kind of speak with a certain authority around homelessness, around a bunch of other issues. And I love, Maha, seeing the, the group grow. It's been nice to see not just, quote, faith leaders by definition, right, but folks that are committed to a compassionate Silicon Valley. Um, what's your experience been? I think the group had been around for several months before I joined. And, um, and I really like it because I'm around other people of faith that are doing very important work. My main interest is um, uh, dealing with bigotry. Um, addressing uh, race relations issues, addressing um, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism. And so um, there isn't a better bunch of people <laughs> to be working with. I think what's important about this is that mm -hmm. our group has been able to switch the focus. Since November, the country's kind of changed. So we right. really felt like the level of hatred, mm -hmm. uh, racism, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism is great, that we really needed to really look at that Mm -hmm. issue and then not that we're putting homelessness on the back burner but that this seems to be a more pressing issue more right now issue. Mm -hmm. right. Exactly. right as faith leaders how do you 
how do you navigate between, you know, back to these hate crimes and things that we're seeing in our community. Mm -hmm. um, we did a, a joint op-ed about this in the Mercury That's News. Right. I mean, how do you as a faith leader really navigate between that justified sense of anger mm -hmm. and fear um, due to what you're seeing in your community, but yet you have this call to heal the community and bring people together. I work with the uh, undocumented community, and I think that having any real conversation uh, for healing has to come out of authentic uh, conversation. I think people really have to speak what's really happening. And here, I think a, a lot of times people don't want to speak about the real pain or don't want to speak about what's really happening to them or they don't want to hear it. A lot of the, the work I do is, you know, um, building up capacity for people to just tell their own story. I don't like the word empowering, uh, but I prefer the word that we're kind of creating the space for people to find their own power. In Spanish, it's capacitar, to, to make the people have the capacity to, 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 to say what's going on for them. And I think that's really important that I bring that to our faith leader conversation. And I think that kind of helps us understand in a more nuanced way that when we do talk about these issues, it's about people and not policy. And I think with the Jewish community and Maha, with the Muslim community, mm -hmm. just how everything has been incredibly amped up over this last year, in particular mm -hmm. since the election. I mean, I would ask the two of you to answer that question too. Just personally, yeah. how do you navigate between um, fear and anger and having a call to compassion for our community? Mm -hmm. I must admit that I think I started out um, after the November elections a little bit angry and, and a little bit anxious as well about what would happen to Muslims. My greatest fear is if another terror attack were to happen in this country, uh, where would Muslims uh, be? Uh, because I do think that based on public sentiments towards Islam, which has gotten a lot worse uh, thanks to the political rhetoric that's been going on the entire campaign, that I think the majorities of Americans would probably support whatever this administration was going to do. They've already talked about surveillance. They've already talked about you know registry. Uh, they've attempted to ban <laughs> Muslims from coming into the country, and it's not only affecting, um, you know, people that are coming to visit, but it's also affecting American citizens as well, naturalized citizens like myself. You know, I started out, you know, quite angry, and the, 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 honestly, the only thing that gives me consolation is my faith. There's a beautiful tradition in Islam that teaches that God does not burden you with something that you are not capable of handling, that we already have what we need in our in our capacity, in our toolbox to be able to address it. And that gives me a lot of consolation. So it allows for reflection and um, for creativity in how to respond. And it helps immensely to have allies mm -hmm. like Dana, like Father John, um, to be able to do um, you know, the work that, that we need to do, which is to, to, to counter these ugly, hateful narratives mm -hmm. that are causing hate crimes. I would concur with a lot of what Maha said. I think that initially, tremendous anger, sadness, disappointment. Um, the only way one can really work through that, I think, is through tikkun olam, through repairing the world from its brokenness. Mm -hmm. So for me, the only way that I can cope with this, the only way I think any of us can really cope with this, is to feel like we are moving forward. And the silver lining for me is that we have built much stronger relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that has been magnificent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think what's really key is that there's so many on the periphery in our mm -hmm. society that our role has been to try to bring them into the center and to do what John said earlier, which is to hear the stories. I think that is the secret, mm -hmm. is to be able to listen to each other's story. We are now living in a time where we, we are seeing a lot of demonization of humanity. And we're seeing so much pointing to figures and judgment 
-hmm. And that's not the energy that we should be focused on right now. Right. You know, our role as storytellers is really, you know, is is twofold. One is like we got to tell a story, Mm -hmm. obviously. Uh, The second part is we need to make capacity for people to tell their own stories. We're naturally there to listen to what's going on. I think that we also have to provide a different kind of dynamic in the public arena, that there's so much of this scapegoating and broad broad strokes from the the highest end of our country saying Mm -hmm. these things. Uh, and and believing it, right? You know, legitimizing the hate mm-hmm. and legitimizing and the misogyny and the, all that. Oh, it's it's incredible. It's and and so we're like, what do we do? And and that's mm-hmm. the part where we have to say, no, this is mm-hmm. there is another way to look at people, and it's to look at people, mm-hmm. not at listen to <laughs> craziness. Really You're looking at the people themselves. Yeah. There was um, an effort by the Jewish community not too long ago to have a solidarity event in support of Muslims because of the travel bans and because of the possibility of a registry. And as they were organizing that event, it was around the same time that there was a rash of anti-Semitic attacks against synagogues and then the desecration of cemeteries. And what that event ended up being is Muslim support for the Jewish community. So it was amazing. But you know, hundreds of Muslims came, hundreds of Jews came, and they're also, and for the purpose of, of solidarity, standing with each other against both anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. It was brilliant. Beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. It really was. Right. Yeah. And so and so that's what that's the that's the silver lining to what's happening. Yeah. And you know, before we could point to these guys um, and gals that uh, you know Islamophobes and anti-Semites as being people on the fringe, but when they occupy the White House, when they occupy uh, you know, federal agencies, this is what is alarming and, and we should be scared. I don't Very think scared. that we should not be. The Bay Area, is, I think, is, gonna, is, is a microcosm of what the country is going to be probably in a, in a few decades. So we have to get it right here. And, I'm, and my hope is that if we get it right here, we can, um, you know, spread it around uh, the country. So be this a model really, for the nation. Be a model for the nation, exactly. Right. They're giving this really unhopeful cast of where this world is, and therefore you have to be afraid, and you have to trust in the power of the gun. You have to trust in the power of a police state. You have to trust in the power of authoritarianism. And I think we're going, oh my, that's not. We don't live in a frightened world, and so. I mean, that's the weird part about yeah. the whole thing. And, and that, to me, is just so offensive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to that point, too, John, it, and you mentioned it earlier, I mean, it sounds like we need a new language, almost, and a new right. strategy in how we communicate with, and it reminds me of the living room conversations and some of the very, frankly, ALF-y kind of things that are starting to happen, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where folks are saying, I want to go to red states or I want to go to blue states and I want to really, I want to learn, I want to listen. I caught the end of a a Sheryl Sandberg interview yesterday about her new book on grief and she explained it uh, very well that, you know, unfortunately many of us know what it's like to be in deep, deep grief about something Mm -hmm. and she said, you know, I lost friends. People didn't know what to say to me. Mm-hmm. They didn't know how to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And wow. she started giving advice on how to talk to her. Mm-hmm. And it sort of feels like we're in this place mm-hmm. of how do we have a new language when there are assumptions mm-hmm. and, and perspectives and red and blue and us and them uh, rhetoric. It's so in our face. Mm-hmm. How do we, what is that new language? I think it has to be inspirational and evocative. I think we have to evoke <clears throat> the goodness within ourselves and we have to inspire people to aspire to to that kind of a what you're working towards. I mean that's how I that's how I see it out of my 
faith tradition. I think it comes out of our Jewish, uh, you know, roots is that it's prophet offering a different type of Jerusalem that's mm. built on justice, that's built on equity, that's built on, you know, brotherhood, sisterhood, that's built on forgiveness. It's not this kind of weird kingdom that brought, you know, captivity, that brought uh, exploitation, that brought mm. violence, that brought repression. I think that there's that even while it's going on, the prophet's job is to speak of a different vision that is true, that that's completely possible through human cooperation. But that's kind of all. How Absolutely, I and I think the language. goal would be one of shalom or salam. And from a mm. Hebrew place, shalom doesn't just mean peace; mm-hmm. it means wholeness and completeness. Mm. Mm. And so the goal is to bring those around us to that place of wholeness and completeness, because none of us are whole or complete. So everyone around us is whole and complete. Mm-hmm. That's something we all need to remember mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's also important to probably make it safe for people to have that difficult conversation that they may want to have. Um, in the line of work that I do, which is education about Muslims and Islam, where I go into police departments, <laughs> which are really interesting <laughs> environments, right? And, and our trainings are up to four hours. I go into corporate offices with executive managers. Um, I go into um, hospitals with a lot of doctors um, and so forth. And um, and these are, you know, people of influence, these are leaders. We spend the first hour uh, just making people feel comfortable and relaxed with the topic itself and people open up once they feel safe to, to ask what they think might be stupid questions, but they're very important questions to ask. Yeah. And I would say as much as the language is important, mm-hmm. I think we have to work on our active listening. Yeah. yeah. I really wish we could all just listen to one another and not be thinking about the answers we're hearing someone else speak to us, mm-hmm. but to really hear their truth. Yeah. I think that's the thing that ALF has really helped uh, for here, me. Here. Is that, I, mean, I know that personally that that's what you have to do, but I think what ALF has helped me is figure out how that works operationally nice. uh, and programmatically. I think mm-hmm. that to me is the, the value add of, of going through the, the fellowship and figuring out how to you know, change the culture of, like I do community organizing and policy, to change the way we do policy by just doing a lot of mm-hmm. listening. So, um, mm-hmm. and, and bringing and, people together. And bringing people, so as I, you, so as I do really well. <laughs> well, I, it's, it's, but I've, I've really changed how I do the, how I go about and do the work. Like I have on Sundays, we have this Grupo Solidaridad, and we bring people that are doctor, lawyer, professor with, mm-hmm. you know, a, a janitor. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and, and, and working with a homemaker, working Spanish speaking only, English speaking only, and put them mm-hmm. all together in these groups. And we struggle mm-hmm. with this, with the um, uh, translation. And it would be so easy and efficient to separate the groups and then share at the very end. But, mm-hmm. but I said, but that's not, that's separate but equal. That never works. And so mm-hmm. for me, is it what ALF has helped me understand is that we struggle together. And if it is going to be a translation, then we struggle with translation and people will mm-hmm. learn each other's language and we don't have as much content but we have authenticity mm-hmm. and it That's may great. take longer but I think the product in the very end which is what do we believe mm-hmm. what do we stand by what are we going to do together as a group uh, that has been slow start but it's but it's been a real strong finish it takes patience yeah patience <laughs> one of the greatest gifts of being in the seat I'm in right now at this time has been I think the appetite for um those deep conversations and authenticity. I was sharing with Dana, you know, I think I'd been in the job six months and then the election happened. It's like, wow, wow, right? And 
this is this is a real opportunity for us. Yeah, definitely. What would have happened if Hillary Clinton was president? What is the opportunity in this new administration? For me personally, <clears throat> I think it's been um, very important for us to see our fellow Americans. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I personally realize the level of misogyny, mm -hmm. of prejudice, of anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, that has been underground in this country. Yeah. And the one thing this election did was very clearly bring that out. Yeah. And I'm one who advocates, I want to see free speech because I want to know exactly where those hate mongers are. Yeah. And I think that has been a huge uh, aha experience for a lot of us. And that's the opportunity right there. Exactly. Is that we've, you know, I used to really struggle with um, explaining to people that Islamophobia exists because they just didn't hear enough about it. Uh, I'm not being asked those questions anymore. I think people, <laughs> right? <laughs> people now get, get it. it. They, they get it. <laughs> they get it. They now get it. Yeah. And so, and that's and that's a really good thing because then we're able to address it. Like the Catholic uh, community mm -hmm. itself, we have, and uh, we always think, oh, you know, we've we have a history of being discriminated against and all that stuff. But then when we looked at what happened at Santa Clara University, <laughs> with swastikas being put up on yeah. you know on both. Uh, and then, and then when uh, and the voting pattern and the voting pattern. But the, the two girls uh, from a, a Latina girls uh, were there at uh, the, the dorm, and they didn't, they couldn't go into the dorm one night right at the elections because all these kids were chanting, "Build the wall, build the wall, build the wall." They did not feel safe going into their oh. own dorms. You know, I was at the YMCA um, soon after the elections, and this person said these things using a, a, a racial term, Chinaman, which I had not heard, and I'm half Asian, and I hadn't heard that term since, you know, since a little kid. Was he, he wasn't referring to you. He was referring very loudly as a, as a oh. telling a joke and making fun of the way Asian people speak. Well, this is a gym full of Asian people. The advantage of what happened of, of, of you know, the mm -hmm. Trump thing is that I know that my neighbor mm -hmm. is very different than me, and I have to figure out a way that we've got to sit down and talk. And if I was, you know, um, didn't appear the way I do, I mm -hmm. would have a very different kind of a, a life. And experience. I saw yeah. A very different experience. If I was a woman that was wearing hijab, I would feel very different than yeah. me who can pass for white. Mm -hmm. And I'm not white, but I pass for it. Mm -hmm. and, th and that gives me privilege. Right. Exactly. I think there's the other piece too, and that is that <clears throat> we're in California. <clears throat> I'm not gonna talk about the bubble <laughs> stuff because I think it's kind of Michigan's long craziness. It is. But the reality is, that we do not hear the stories of those in the Midwest or the South that we needed to hear. Yeah. We have not heard their plight and how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think that wakes me up to the idea that we have to do a much better job of having conversations within our country. The cultural shift is that, that people have of legitimacy to their story. And I think mm -hmm. people from the highest order office in this nation do not feel that some people have any legitimate story and mm -hmm. that's the part that is very concerning for me. Mm -hmm. So how do we lead with love? I was walking down the street actually before we moved to our new location at ALF and heard somebody yell a word I hadn't heard in a long time uh, to an African-American man who was in a scooter going on the street oh mm. and I stopped this man and Good I you. and you know I would have done this before but mm -hmm. there's like this whole new layer now Mm -hmm. of I have to protect and I feel genuine love mm -hmm. and I really focus on that and think about that that I may not agree with you mm -hmm. but I'm gonna lead with love there is love in both of us mm -hmm. and how do we temper right mm -hmm. our 
our experience and our perspective to get to a place where we're human and we can be together and talk to each other and deeply understand each other. And that takes a lot of willingness and authenticity and courage. It's a lot harder courage. to do that. Intentionality. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate the way you, you brought that up. How did you, how did you do it? I'm yeah. actually what, curious. What happened to him? <laughs> yeah, what, what did you do? I looked at the, the uh, gentleman who was walking past who was Caucasian and I said, that is not okay language. I am mm-hmm. not okay with it. Don't call us that. Mm-hmm. It's an us. And what did he say? He just kind of shook his head and kept walking. But that's okay, you know, because yeah. the example that it showed this gentleman, yeah. who's clearly disabled, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, mm-hmm. came out of nowhere, knows that there's an ally there, right? Mm-hmm. I also appreciate what you did because I think if we don't act, we are basically condoning the behavior. Sure. Right. Yeah. So that's right. that's a very important, and, and actually all of our faiths believe that, yeah. that you have to speak up. The hardest thing is to love someone who has a point of view mm-hmm. that you don't understand or even don't respect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the question is, can we yeah. move above that to see the humanity in mm-hmm. someone who has this perspective? That's the only way we can do this, yeah. is one person at a time. People of color like me that have been victim of Islamophobia and stereotyping and misogyny and and bad behavior by people for a long time. I don't think it. I don't think that it necessarily should come from this group. Although this group has a lot of love to be able to have sustained what they sustain on a daily basis, right? They're not. They're not going out there and being angry with people. They're just going up about living their lives. I just think that kind of movement that you're talking about really. I just feel like it needs to come from from the white Christian community, not to put the burden on the people that are yeah. already oppressed. That guy said that term. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't heard that term since I was a little kid because I looked a lot more Asian in those, in those when I was a little kid. I heard when it I too. When I heard that. Growing up in Ohio. When I heard that, mm-hmm. I uh, felt so weird and small and I was mm-hmm. so angry with myself for not saying something mm-hmm. like you did. I hadn't talked about it for like, three weeks and then I went to the ALF group and talked about it and I mm. broke down and cried because oh. I couldn't believe that this was going on because I thought it was an issue I worked through the ALF thing about well tell me about it so we're going more and more and then it's like oh my god <laughs> you know and it was like and they were all like devastated and and there was an African-American woman there as a, a Latina person there. and they said I understand thinking you know yeah. I get it I get it because I live so long in privilege but then it just takes that one thing yeah. for someone to say you don't belong and then the burden is on someone that doesn't belong mm-hmm. to insist I do belong. And that's a weird place. To, to, to whom much is given, much is, is expected. That's kind of one of the lines that we have in our scriptures. And so I think that somebody, if you if you enjoy this privilege, you have a responsibility. Right, that's what I think. I, I, Absolutely. I, I, you have a responsibility to stop your fellow people from mm-hmm. saying the N-word, for saying, you know, stuff about gay people, mm-hmm. stuff about, like, Muslim people and Jewish people. I mean, we and thought... it's subtle sometimes. It's, right? it, but it's yeah. very subtle. subtle. But these microaggressions add yeah. up, and it's like I couldn't believe when they defaced this right. one synagogue in Ohio. I'm thinking that's never been yeah. defaced. How do you yeah. go to that person with love? And that's yeah. what we have but to who, do. But you don't know who it is. Exactly. So for me, who's experienced also anti-Semitism, when I once was at a uh, hotel, I was at a student rabbi, and I got to know the hotel workers really well. And we were talking up at the at the registration. Someone came down very angry with their bill and said, "You Jewed me." So all the workers who knew that I was a young student rabbi all looked at me waiting for my response. And that was an intense moment. I responded, but I tried to do it with love. 
I tried mm-hmm. to be soft in my energy and I was very angry. Mm-hmm. And I was stern, but mm-hmm. I tried to say it in a way that was what approachable. You what you say? If I recall, I said something like, that's not cool. Yeah. As a yeah. Jew, you need you are now stereotyping all Jews. That term is not only not true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But think about what that means when we when we generalize people. Mm-hmm. Wow. And his mm-hmm. wife was with him, and she just turned bright red, and that was enough right there. But it's those <laughs> moments, and they're very hard. Yeah, they're, they're very hard because when someone does something yeah. out of anger, you want to turn your back and walk away. Yeah. But it's really that moment, and we need to look at every moment as an opportunity mm-hmm. to have a discussion, even with mm-hmm. someone we're not comfortable with. Well, it's last year I've had conversations with a couple of gentlemen who, um, you know, kind of confided in me that white gentlemen, they get it, um, they get it mm-hmm. and they're afraid. Yeah. And they don't yeah. quite know yeah, what, what to I'm do, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's almost like a survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. If you are a, a, a white you know, person and if you are a male, I think you have a responsibility to say to your other privileged people, hey, this is just, what the heck, you know. What's going on? Yeah, what's going on? Fact, there's a need of leadership there. There's a vacuum of leadership right there now. There is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think people also uh, tend to be non-confrontational. They've never really had to deal with the kinds of things that people of color or minorities have had to deal with. So they don't know how to do it. And this is why I said earlier that I think we do need to have some sort of upstand or training where you can't like speak mm-hmm. up and say something because people genuinely don't know how to do that. My own husband um, was telling me about an experience that he had on a, on a flight coming back where he wanted to put into practice some of the things that he's learned at ING about you know, dialogue. <laughs> and so he wanted to have a conversation with, a, with, with the passenger next to him who was reading a book that seemed to be um, a little, not Islamophobic, but sort of um, you know, suggested that he, my husband needed to, to, to have a conversation with him. And he had a heck of a time trying to open up a conversation. And he tried several times, and the, 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 the person who was white um, would, would answer abruptly and then want to end the conversation. And it took my husband like three or four attempts uh, before the guy opened up. Mm. And it was an amazing experience because this guy told him that he was the first Muslim that he's ever met, that he's ever actually talked with and he learned so much from having talked with him. Mm-hmm. And my husband was able to engage him on the book and what he was reading and to correct a lot of wow. the misconceptions. Mm. Uh, and my husband also learned from the experience because this person was from the Midwest, was a farmer, and had never really talked to a person like that either. But what really <laughs> surprised, my husband is, a, is an engineer, he works here in the high tech, um, does a lot of things and I didn't I didn't realize when he was telling me that he didn't know how to start a conversation I'm like, are you kidding me you don't know how to start a conversation he's an engineer he's a really, yeah he's an engineer he said, but he's a really like he's a sweet guy and he, and he said you need to do training on how to open up a conversation yeah. how to have a conversation with people but how do you train other people to, to yeah. be as curious I think that part of the, the, the tension that I experience from the mm-hmm. top of the nation down to the bottom is that people have already know the answers and they're going to mm-hmm. s- say things that will kind of sustain their particular belief right. where what we're talking about and I faith piece you know the interfaith work that we're doing is always starting from the place of curiosity mm-hmm. and so you start a conversation by asking a question mm-hmm. like I'm sure right. your husband says what is this Absolutely. book that you're reading yeah. what is the thing that you believe you know I sometimes wonder if in this society <laughs> that we've done such a number on religion 
because of fundamentalism in our country. Yes. Yeah. And Definitely. I think we've destroyed all the nuances of religion. Absolutely. If you think about it. There's so right. many beautiful nuances. I love learning about other religions. Yeah. How do we create that sense of curiosity yeah. in people? Yeah, yeah I might form a relationship with two people, one in, in ALF and one outside of ALF. One in ALF is a Mormon, this great guy. And really, I want to know more about the Mormon thing because I said, I, you know, every Mormon I've known has been a great person, but I hear all these people saying negative things about Mormons. And I says, that has never been my experience. I've mm -hmm. always felt Mormons are really great people. I mean, their theology, what I've read about mm -hmm. it, is not where, where I stand on, mm -hmm. you know, things. But it's, it's just fascinating to understand as a culture. So right. it was really great to kind of enter into that conversation. Another guy that I, we haven't had conversations with in our interfaith work mm -hmm. is with evangelicals that mm -hmm. tend That's to be right. a little bit more black and white That's about right. their reading of right. scripture, their perspectives. But I would say that evangelicals, their approach to certain things is very similar to, mm -hmm. to Muslims in mm -hmm. terms of the way they read sacred text. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's like, and it's not about, let's not talk about theology, let's talk about what your experience is through your experience of dealing with whatever mm -hmm. your sacred text or the sacred is in your life. I think that allows us to kind of step, step back away from who's right, who's wrong to do that. Because I could see where I think Jews and Muslims are all connected to mm -hmm. Christ, to, to our understanding of Christianity, and, but so are evangelicals and Mormons. So Absolutely. how do you take that example, right, and translate that into politics, yeah. right? Oh. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. It's a work in progress. But dun. truly, the, what, are, what are the common threads, right? It is a curiosity. It's questioning. Mm -hmm. It's listening without judgment. But there's this but other hard piece. Hard to do. But, and that is, yeah. do I see the value of another person? That's true. And my, my problem that I see, or the problem that I, I've, I've witnessed, think we all have, is that we really judge a lot. We don't see the value of that guy picking up the garbage. We don't see the value mm. of all the different layers of our society, all the people that contribute. And every interaction we have, we should look into the eyes of that person as if we are looking into the eyes of God. Mm. And it's what's also interesting is that every one of the world religions believes that's what we need to be doing. You asked that question about politics. I would say, you know, when we're talking about minimum wage, for instance, in our community, um, a person that works as a cafeteria worker mm -hmm. or works in in fast food is typically a, a woman and an immigrant mm -hmm. and with dependents. Mm -hmm. That person at the end of their day after paying rent has five dollars a day to pay for food. Mm -hmm. So for me it's not a policy about you know economics. Mm -hmm. It's a policy about this family, this person Griselda, mm -hmm. who has five dollars mm -hmm. to feed two of her kids. She's a single mom and she works at McDonald's. What is she gonna do? Or this other lady, you know, Sarah, that, that has three kids and a now and then partner. The question is, she has $5 a day for food for all that family. That is what we as religious people bring to the table. It's about this family. It's about this person. Politically, let's not talk about theories of like giving a bunch of tax cuts to the top and thinking that it's gonna trickle down the bottom. I'm saying, fine, that's a great theory. I want you to tell me about how do you think, tell me about this person. Let's sure. start there and let's end there. That, yeah. And I think that's how we go about policy. Yeah. Dana, what inspires you? Please. Two people I'm with right now inspire me. Um, <laughs> I've been very inspired by our political leadership in this, in this, this uh, city and yeah. in this county. I'm very proud of how they've mm -hmm. stood up with us when we've asked them to. I'm very proud of the fact that as we have more and more conversations, mm -hmm. it seems like the circle's growing. I'm inspired that people yes. are standing up and saying, this is not okay, yeah. and that I'm looking mm -hmm. for allies. And bringing in a, a rabbi and, a, and, a, and an imam to a immigrant mass 
and having them saying, we're in this with you together, and a Black Lives person there, um, I just thought was really cool. I'm really inspired by my faith. My dream is um, for Americans to understand Muslims and Islam for what it is and who they are. It, you know, that is really, that's what I work for. Mm. And I have a lot of sense of hope that if we have the conversations, if we don't demonize one another, if we hear each other's story and really listen, that we can move this forward and actually become a much stronger country in the end. ALF is passionately committed to building diverse networks of leaders focused on personal and community transformation in order to create an inclusive and thriving Silicon Valley. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and subscribe to The Dialogue on iTunes or SoundCloud. Please visit us online at alfsv.org. This podcast was made possible by our Leadership Circle members, Senior Fellows Randy Pond and Lisa Sonsini, Financial Class Matchers, Darla Anderson, Class 24, Greg Avis, Class 11, Chuck Gatchke, Class 10, Dottie Hayes, Class 19, Jim Koshlin, Class 25, Webb McKinney, Class 15, Randy Pond, Class 17, and Steve Smith, Class 14. And a special thanks to ALF Classes 14, 15, 17, and 24 for their tremendous support of American Leadership Forum over this past year.